Welcome to Rants and Reason. I am Chuck. I am Karen. I am a liberal. And I am a conservative. But as Abraham Lincoln reminds us, we are not enemies. We are friends. We are friends. We remain friends through 30 some odd episodes, Karen. We sure have. We sure have. Now, the meme we're doing today is more of a jumping off point than something to unpack. It's a very, very simple drawing of the Supreme Court split in half. One side blue, the other side red. And obviously, the inference is about partisanship of the Supreme Court. Right. So the first question we had to explore is, despite public opinion, are the courts really all that partisan? Well, Justice Stephen Breyer spent most of his off-bench lecturing time fighting the misconception that the courts are basically second-tier politicians. Breyer cited case after case where the lineup had supposed conservatives voting with alleged liberals and stated that 5-4 decisions are really a minority of the court's opinions. The moderator at one of these sessions, Professor Jeffrey Rosen of the George Washington Law School, agreed with Breyer in general, but noted that at the end of every term, there are 5-4 decisions that precisely confirm the court's ideological divide. Rosen told Breyer that he instructs his students that if they believe it is all about politics, they will miss everything that's beautiful about constitutional law. But guess what, Rosen said? They don't ever believe me. They think it's all politics. That is a view that rightly or wrongly is shared by many, many people. Breyer, however, is right that on any number of issues that come before the court, there is no Democratic or Republican position. In the October 2013 term, for example, Scalia, joined by Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan, wrote a powerful dissent against an opinion by Thomas regarding the validity of an anonymous 911 tip as a cause to stop and search a car. In a second case, Elena Kagan, considered the most liberal member of the current court, joined with the conservatives in turning down a death row inmate's claim that his case deserved additional review. The court actually split three ways in trying to decipher a fuzzy law passed by Congress ordering restitution to victims of child pornography. According to the Supreme Court database, since 2000, a unanimous decision has been more likely than any other result, averaging 36% of all decisions. Even when the court did not reach a unanimous judgment, the justices often secured overwhelming majorities with a 7-2 to or an 8-1 to judgment, make, making up about 15% of decisions. The 5-4 to four decisions, by comparison, occurred in 19% of cases. That's... And the court... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Karen. That's something that's really, really, really surprising because we, you know, we tend to think, even you and I, mm-hmm. think that a case is going to go before the Supreme Court and they are going to divide it amongst party lines, decide it right. amongst party lines. And right. that only happens less than one out of five times. And right. there's so many seven to two rulings and eight to one judgments and unanimous right. rulings. Right. And one of the links that I'm posting um, with this episode actually shows 
a, like a whole litany of, of some of these cases that actually had a lot of uh, precedent set that were surprisingly split. I mean, just very, when I say surprisingly split, they weren't partisan at all. There would be extremely liberal, what, what people consider to be liberal justices and very what people consider to be conservative justices that agreed with one another. And so it, it is really interesting people's perceptions versus what the legal research shows. That was one. And I wish I could remember the case, but it came out not long ago and there was, it was a seven to two decision. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really surprising because I thought it was going to be a split decision. Right. Right. But there is a lot more, a lot more to it. I mean, there, there is partisanship in, in comparison to the past, but there's not partisanship in comparison to people's perceptions. So, um, the court's commitment to consensus does not really appear to be slowing down at all, actually. In the 2016-17 term, 57% of the decisions were actually unanimous. And judgments with very slim majorities, 5 to 3 or 5 to 4, accounted for 14%. Now, despite this, the court is obviously more polarized than it's ever been. It's not as polarized as it's perceived to be, but it is more polarized than it's ever been. Right. If measured by the standard of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we consider the number of cases decided by a single vote to be a fair proxy for a court's polarization, it becomes pretty easy to see that our current court is by and large the most partisan in years. In the period between 1801 and 1940, less why than... Didn't, why didn't they just go 1800? I mean, why 1801? I, just saying. I don't know. In the measurement, you would think they would just make it even. I'm not OCD at all. Well, why that's, did they stop in 1940? Um, that's true. Why didn't go to 41? That's That's true. Carry on. <laughs> okay. In the period between 1801 and 1940, less than 2% of all Supreme Court decisions were decided by a 5-4 to four vote. Less and this could be one of those little kind of tricks that they play because maybe in 1941 and 1800, there were a bunch of them decided by 5-4 to four votes. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. And they wanted they just... to lower the thing because people play games with statistics like yeah, that. That's true. But anyway... Um, There were 1801 to 1940, less than 2% of Supreme Court decisions were decided by a 5-4 vote. By contrast, the Rehnquist and Roberts courts have seen roughly 20% of their cases be decided by one vote. And that's a significant change, right? Yes. I Actually, it is. 2% 2% to 20% right. is a significant mm-hmm. change. Thank, right, you for, but, but, thank you for pointing out the obvious to me, Karen. But, there's been a lot of significant social change in that time too, so it sort of makes sense. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking very deeply today. Yeah. <laughs> so. You know, I had to write this stuff. I was like so deep in statistics that I just my brain is kind of mushy. So you'll have to. Well, excuse me. I was eating cheese sticks while you put this together. So. <laughs> well, it's okay. I was I was pretty deep in thought too. <laughs> Mozzarella, Colby Jack. Oh, gosh. But anyway, this shift provides a very clear indication that polarization has indeed spread to the judiciary. And and this is something I think people should know. 
because this is something it's off the subject, but it's it's very amusing if people would watch this stuff get put together. Mm-hmm. Is that you you get you get so deep in the weeds on this research stuff, and I'm talking to the audience here. I'm not going to talk to you. Karen gets <laughs> so deep into the weeds on this research, and she will be sending me stuff. We'll, we'll be on the phone, and she'll be shooting me things through um, instant messenger. He'll never and, read them and say, I mean, read, this, read, read this, read this, read this. And I'm literally sitting in my chair with my feet up <laughs> eating cheese sticks. And she'll say, now look right here on page six on blah, blah, blah. And I have to literally like scramble back and find the article <laughs> and open it up. I usually have to send an article like four times <laughs> yeah. for a study. And pretend that I'm actually reading it. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of amusing, but. Uh, to you. To me, it's it's just kind of amusing that I can sometimes really get by with like I'm paying attention, even though you know right. I'm not. And then and then there are those times when you're in like super productive mode, and you act like I'm a slacker if I'm not <laughs> yeah, just right yeah. there with you. Like, Kara, we have to get this done. You need to get on this. And I'm like, are you serious? I've been working on this for a week, and you haven't cared one iota. <laughs> and now you're all like, cracking the whip. Got to get this stuff done. <laughs> Well, with the last me Monday, it was four things to debunk. And I was like, come on, dude, I'm done. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And acting very indignant about your, uh, about you not being caught up to me. So come on, carry your weight. Conservatives are supposed to be all about carrying their own weight. You're not doing it, Karen. Anyway, so I don't (laughs) At least that's how I acted yesterday. But it is funny. Because it made me think of that with the cheese stick. Because yesterday you had asked me, look at the study. And I said, okay, I'll get it. Oh, I knew you hadn't seen it because you were starting to pontificate about something that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that this that that the study clearly debunked, and I was just like, he's he's making himself out to be an idiot right now. I know he hasn't read the study, so oh, shall we talk about what I asked you about what was in the Constitution? <laughs> we could do that. Okay, the right to privacy is inferred. It's it is not, not in the written, Constitution. It is not directly written into the Constitution. I don't know where I'm like. So Chuck. Is the right to privacy in the Constitution written explicitly written in the Constitution? And you were like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> well, no. I in like, fairness, oh, really? I think you said, "Is the right to privacy in the Constitution?" And I said, "You said yes." It's I written said there. yes. It's in the Fourth Amendment. You did you said, not say. And that. you said, no, "Is it in the no. Fourth Amendment?" And I said, "Yes, it's in the no, Fourth Amendment." Is- and you said, "Is it?" And you, I thought it was written. You know what? In fairness, Typical I thought it was written in the fourth. Rewritten. No, no, no. no I'm re- not rewriting. <laughs> Listen to me. Kidding. I thought it was truly written in the Fourth Amendment. I. You said, "Is it in the you, Constitution?" I said, you, "Yes, in the Fourth Amendment." And you no, said, "Really?" No, you didn't know. You didn't mention the Fourth Amendment until I brought it up. Yeah, what? What? What is your point? <laughs> what is your point? <laughs> I don't really have one. I just wanted to make fun of you. Okay. You were at, although this is a fact. <laughs> although this is a fact, Captain, obviously you needed to point out to me. Um, <laughs> it does provide a clear indication that polarization is indeed spread to the judiciary. Actually, I mean, you already said that part. Yeah. It's, it's The next, although this is fact, is where you were at. 
Although this is fact, trends show <laughs> that the court is again working towards consensus. Chief Justice Roberts has passionately reiterated his hope. Passionately. Passionately for a court. He's he's spread rose petals up to the Supreme Court bench. I mean, he's lit candles. He's done all kinds of things. You know, I wasn't really thinking in those terms. I was thinking more in just like preaching from the pulpit, passionate, not like, hello, passionate. Well, because you're not a romantic like I am. Uh, well, there you go. Yeah, so Chief Justice Roberts has passionately reiterated his hope for a court that is committed to a unified voice to rely on precedent. So hopefully we got something out of that. <laughs> yes. Okay. But what does partisanship and polarization in the Supreme Court actually mean? Does it mean that cases are heard and decided right along party lines? The answer is actually pretty complicated. Research indicates that cases that are high salience tend to run closer to ideological lines. High salience cases are defined as cases that involve like really important issues, which in turn attract more media attention. In non-media driven cases, legal research shows that there's actually a very, very non-polarized court. Because of this phenomenon, it's really difficult to say whether or not generalized polarization exists. Even in the unanimous decisions, there's an element of partisanship in that only 1.6% of the unanimous cases alter precedent, while 2.4% of the non-unanimous cases do. So that's when they're overturning some, and they don't overturn many. I mean, it's really when society is shifted right. that it kind of falls along party lines and that has a lot to do with not wanting to ups upset the apple cart i mean we talked about that in the kavanaugh episode that really i mean the court doesn't usually shift the court usually shifts towards public opinion right when it's a big 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 social issue and so that's why really no one is gonna go in and just change that in a sweeping way in most circumstances well, what's the cause for partisanship? It's not really the justices themselves that are the issues. First of all, speech coding tends to categorize legal decisions into political ideologies. Right. We like to use certain terms that if someone says free speech in a certain issue, then they must right. be liberal or free speech in another issue, then they must be conservative. We separate them into party lines. But when you actually read their decisions and their dissents, it's not nearly that binary or clear. Right. And who they favored for sometimes are, I mean, I know there was one case when we looked at that study that it involved Jehovah Witnesses and they considered the Jehovah Witnesses liberal. Well, so and, the, and said there the was that kind of liberal them. partisanship. Right. But it was because it had nothing to do. It wasn't a religious liberty. If they had used the term religious liberty, people would have assumed it was conservative. But because it was a free speech issue, they were like, oh, that must be liberal when it's it's just not that cut and dry. Right. No. But I'm but the my point being is that I don't know in what realm you would consider because they they voted the way that the study kind of parsed it out is they voted in favor they found in favor of the Jehovah Witnesses so they found but, right, in but, favor of liberals is my point 
Right. And but, no, by no means are Jehovah Witnesses liberal. Do you see my point with the speech coding? Yes. They, I, the, but I, the, the Jehovah Witnesses won and they said it was a liberal victory. And in some places that was considered, they considered the Jehovah Witnesses a liberal group. Huh. That's that's weird. I just know yes. that speech coding puts things in boxes that we that may or may not be factual. Usually it's not factual. Typically it's not factual, no. Right. Right. Second, increase fear mongering during elections. This drives hyperpartisan nominations whose names the nominations are elicited from partisan think tanks like the Heritage, Heritage Foundation, the right. Federalist Society, right. the place. Now like we don't that. know what the left has. You know who compiles those lists. I, I don't remember when um, President Obama was picking. You know who his consulting groups were. We we know that Heritage and the Federalist Society had to do with the conservative lists, but we don't really know about the other or if there were anything like that. So, third, an increasingly polarized Senate. It is really the confirmation process that becomes so partisan. It's startling to see the comparisons between recent confirmations and earlier ones, even considering the most politically ideological justices. Now think about this, Karen. Scalia was confirmed. Now you know he had very strong, in my opinion, radical views. He was confirmed 98 to 0. No one objected to him. Now, I'm not saying they should have objected, but 98 to 0, that's pretty impressive. Right. Mm -hmm. And Ginsburg was confirmed 96 right, who was to 3. Right, also an idealist. I would say that both Scalia and Ginsburg were idealists in, in their... And you um, knew what you were getting. Interpretations, right. The, and their constitutional interpretations, there was no room for ambiguity. They knew exactly, we knew exactly how they were going to interpret the Constitution. And I think it, that there was a time, and that's changed, where the Senate was much more willing to defer to the president. Right. That if the president puts one up, then, you know, they Bork, you know, obviously got turned away, but mm -hmm. sadly, confirmation hearings are, have become a backdrop of political theater now. Right. And just like you mentioned earlier with the fear mongering, so much of it has to do with election years. You know, if there's an important right. election coming up, then the confirmations are going to become battlegrounds. If you look at all of the nominees and their confirmation hearings, you look at the years where there is a midterm or a presidential election and those confirmation hearings are much, much, much more partisan. It's, it's really unfortunate. I think one way to change the polarization that does exist within the court would be to have a truly bipartisan panel create a list for any president to work off of, you know, that kind of lists their constitutional perspective and um, a general history of precedent and, and things like that. I think that that would be and if that would if it was accessible to everyone, I think that that would be a much more um, transparent and less dividing way to do this. 
Another method to decrease polarization would be to utilize a more narrow scope when applying legal analysis. And I think that that's something that we've both talked about that we have seen recently, right? Right. Like in the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, a lot of people were very upset about it and they kind of looked at it as um, in, in general terms. But the fact of the matter is that the decision was very, very narrow. It was not it, a it, victory for anyone. It was not a victory no, really for anyone at all. it was very specific to that case and the, the things that had to do with it. There was no sweeping precedent. And I think that, I really think that Roberts is trying to avoid doing that and um, and we're just seeing kind of a narrowing of legal analysis. And, and I think that's a good thing. That's one thing we can do to decrease partisanship. And I think that's when you see the unanimous decisions and the mixed um, I- ideological decisions. It's, it's because of that. The other thing is we talked about stare decisis. Right. And that is something that we have seen in the gun cases coming before the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Where they haven't even they haven't even heard the cases because they think that something is already settled law, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to get in front of the court and have them decide that it's settled law. Mm-hmm. They can rule to not hear it because they believe that the law is already settled, and we've seen a lot more of that, right? Than we have in the past. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, according to a 2018 Gallup poll, public trust of the Supreme Court found either a great deal or quite a lot was at 37%. While, well, this is kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, and the spectrum was counting from 1973, it's really not a disturbing low at all. It's pretty average. So don't trust all the media hype or social media or friend fear-mongering. While it's always good to be cautious, it's always good to be informed, it also serves us well to remember that as usual, we say this a lot, don't we, Chuck? (laughs) There's nothing new under the sun. And that is all we have to say about that. Yes. As usual, we would like to thank everyone who takes the time to listen to us. You can always find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and iTunes. And we would also really, really please take a second and just drop us a little positive review. It would just make our day. It absolutely would. And we have a pretty active Facebook group if you'd like to join. If you're nice. If If you're a nice person, join our Facebook group. If you're really not nice, that's more fun for me. (laughs) <laughs> but uh find yes, us but our moderators who are fantastic will kick you out so fast you won't yes, even know and then they send me little nasty private messages saying please <laughs> do don't not. say things like that or karen does no. anyway you can find us at <laughs> rants and reason podcast facebook group and our moderators are absolutely tremendous so they really are they're the best you can follow us on twitter and once you follow us, which would be at Rants Reason. You can find me and follow me, but don't follow Chuck because I'm cooler. Yeah, well, you're jealous. <laughs> and if you want to support the show, we do have a Patreon page and you can find us there as Rants and Reason. Thank you everyone for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.